and welcome back to the Hidden Things and Hidden Things. I think we're on part seven, uh, which is almost entirely taken up with a conversation between Calliope and Detective Johnson over the phone, where we uh, kind of revisit some things and learn a little bit more about Walker and uh, a little bit more about Johnson and Calliope and kind of see those two interact. Question from the audience is, you know, where did I come up with the phrase of her rolling each word over in her mind like each one was rigged to explode? I don't know. Those are just images... I make them up out of my head. Calliope approaches social situations very carefully because she's kind of a fragile creature and a little bit skittish and a little bit angry. It's not the words that could explode in this situation, it's Calliope. So she's approaching it very carefully because it could easily be a conversation that turns into her shouting a lot. Um, and she doesn't want it to because it's not really Johnson's fault. So yeah, you've just got to approach it kind of carefully. And, and Calliope's volatile. So it's fair for her to treat things as explosives, I think, in this situation. Why does she tell Johnson about the fat man? She wasn't going to initially. I mean, obviously she warms up a bit to that. For all that she isn't comfortable in social situations, Calliope has a pretty good sense of character. And Johnson has a good one. Um, he's a guy that you can trust, or at least that's her sense of him. And it, it, at least in this book, turns out to be true. I mean, he's a reliable guy. I mean, she doesn't get him completely into the weird stuff, but she lets him know that there's some progress being made because honestly, right now, he sort of feels like the only friend that she's got in this situation. Tom has left. Tom expressed his feelings toward her, but then left. Vicus is Vicus. So he's not someplace you go for a hug. You know, everybody else is creepy or weird or nasty or dead or... She doesn't have anybody else. And Johnson's a good guy. So yeah, she kind of opens up a little bit. I don't know if she even, she wouldn't be able to answer the question. She just did because she knew he could take it. You know what I do at the end of a story? I'll put it into a word, one of those uh, word clouds. And I'll see which words come up really, really big. And then take out like the ones like the and a and stuff. If I see a lot of nods, then I, I go back through and start rewriting stuff. I see a lot of shakes and blinks or... I know from post-examination and stuff like that, I, I have a lot of business going on. There's always a lot of stuff with my characters physically doing things to kind of break up the flow of the, of the dialogue a little bit. Maybe I overdo it. I don't know. I don't really care. I'm comfortable with it. It's the kind of story that I'm used to reading. It creates that kind of beats and pacing that, I'm, that I like. It's a little bit like stage blocking or something like that. But I mean, that, that's probably my bit. I try not to make the physical business the same. And when I use it more often than I probably should, there's a reason for it. Chuck Wendig, who writes a lot about writing, he points out, and I agree with him, that um, you do put anything in your story, it should basically be lifting two loads at least. It should not just be in there to do one thing, deliver information or just to be funny or anything like that. It should be, you know, being funny and doing something else. So if I'm doing body stuff. It's part, it's one job is to kind of break up and create that rhythm in the dialogue, but it's also needs to impart more information than just the words on the page. So the fact that she's doing all this stuff in the kitchen and stuff like that, that's one thing, but it does another thing. It shows us that Calliope, when she's not governing herself, is very, very comfortable with Tom in that house. She likes him there and she doesn't like that she likes him there. She doesn't like I mean, she likes him and all that stuff, but she's not necessarily comfortable with the idea that she's wants him there. Honestly, she looks for kind of the quickest excuse to, to toss him out, the weakest excuse to toss him out. 
So that tells us stuff. Vicus shrugs a lot because when he shrugs, it's weird. And that weirdness is something that we need to be constantly kind of aware of because for all that Calliope sees weird stuff and notices things because she's very perceptive, there are things that Vicus does that she can never entirely tune out. Same thing's true of Gluin. I had my editor come back and said, can we not have him be like, have the fat constantly in our face? And I'm like, well, this is the thing. She doesn't get used to it. Other stuff she gets used to. The fact that Vicus is wearing face paint or looks like he is, it kind of goes by the wayside after a while. The fact that he smells not great, but that goes away. All the little weird things, it goes away. There's certain things that don't. His shrugs, when he smiles and the mouth goes too far, those are things she can never quite entirely ignore because she knows they're not quite right. And Gluin is like that turned to the 11 of fat. So she can't not see it. It can't not be disturbing. So it's always there. Um, so yeah, th- those things, all those little bits in business and stuff like that. As much as I love them, some of them I've had to go away because they're only in there to amuse me. And I got to read them once and then I take them out. So the question of if you're writing the written word as the spoken word, it would be unintelligible. Like if you're writing sort of dialect type stuff and write, writing it to make it look like it sounds, there's a lot of people talking over each other in this dialogue. There's a point at which you make it sound so much like actual dialogue that it's basically unintelligible. It's just constant interruptions and talking over and everybody's getting in two words in and suddenly you're watching, what is it, Gosford Park or something like that? And everyone's just talking at the same time. It's honestly, I've noticed now reading it, it's really a pain in the ass to read. It's hard. It's as realistic as I can make it. Calliope, Vicus, these guys are not people who are going to wait until you've like politely finished and then count to two and take a sip of tea before they move into the next thing. They are right over top of each other all the time. As much as I can make that work and make it not hurt the reader to look at, I'm going to do it. I write what I know. I write the dialogue I know. So that's what I do. That's what everybody I know does. Because if they didn't interrupt me, they'd never get a word in edgewise. If I knew going in to writing this that I would have to then read it later, would I have written it the same way? Yes. Except I wouldn't have wanted to think about reading it later because honestly, I don't like thinking about, well, what's going to happen with this business-wise afterwards? I think it's, I think that's a very counterproductive thing to think about in terms of when I'm writing, and this sounds very artsy and I hate that a little bit, but when I'm writing, I'm writing. I'm just writing to write a story. And I, I honestly, at the time that the words are going on the page, I could not give a damn one way or the other as to whether or not it's going to work or whether or not it's going to make money, or whether or not anybody's even going to want to read it. I'm writing it because I want to read what's going down. Like, usually while I'm writing it, I cackle at myself. But afterwards, yeah, definitely. I mean, my first test, my first my first read-through, like, I, you know, finish up the story, put it away for a while, bring it back out. The first thing I do is I read it, but I read it out loud. And the first thing that I start circling, maybe I read it to myself first, but the second thing I do is I read it out loud and the things I circle are the bits where you can't read it. Like if I can't read it out loud, I rewrite it. Um, that doesn't mean that it's all easy, but I want to be able to, this is a bad example. I want to be able to read the stories that I'm writing to other people. That's just a test of language. Some of this stuff, what's that old Carrie Fisher quote? Uh, talking to George Lucas in like the second movie or something like that. You can write this shit, George, but you can't read it. You know, that's telling. Lucas is a good example of, as an idea guy, he's fantastic, but as a writer guy, he's not somebody most people would probably want to emulate in terms of dialogue and 
words that he picks and stuff like that. It isn't just dialogue that I'm looking at when I'm reading it aloud to figure it out whether or not it's going to work. It isn't just the dialogue. I mean, I want the dialogue to sound natural. And there's times when, I mean, you know, I've been reading short stories now and there's sometimes it's like he wouldn't say, what's that for? He'd say, what's that about? Or something, you know, there's just little bits that you realize well after the fact that when it's actually out there, he wouldn't, they wouldn't say it that way. That's part of it. But there's also the narration stuff. I mean, there's, there's sometimes where words together just don't work. You can't just say those words in that order and not have your tongue rebel and leave. So that stuff has to change. I think your brain would hiccup on it too. I think your brain gets caught. I'm not saying that everybody reads it in a way that they're, they're listening to the lyricism of it. I do, especially with certain authors. There's sometimes where I'll read a scene and I'll just, I like it so much. I'll go back and read it out loud to myself. Uh, Neil Gaiman, that pretty much happens every other page. He's, he's poetry to read. Stephen King, I'll do that sometimes, but with him, it's more dialogue. I'll read his dialogue a lot because he's got such a great sense of, of characters. Um, some people don't read that way though. Some people blast through and my wife who reads 1200 pages a week for the work that she does reads very, very quickly. So I don't know that she's necessarily, she's getting the meaning of it. She's, she gets it all when she reads it, which makes me feel like sort of a slow third grader when I'm reading. But I don't know that she's necessarily, when she's reading for work, is reading for the lyricism of it. Maybe on the second pass. Certainly when she's reading for enjoyment. But everybody, everybody approaches it differently. Some people want to know the plot, know what happens, go through bang, 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 bang. You know, they're the reading for, for that intellectual stimulation. It's not for the, you know, play of words. There's a point at which though, that becomes sort of like ink and paper masturbation where you're just like, Oh, listen to the lyricism. Yeah. But what's happening? Why isn't anybody punching anybody else yet? Why are there no things happening? I want more explosions or whatever. So it's a careful balance. I've had people tell me reading this thing. It's like, it feels almost like literary fiction, but it's got this, all this other stuff going on. I'm like, then I hit exactly where I wanted to be. Cause I'd like the words to be graceful and able to be read aloud, but at the same time, fun to actually read. I write this stuff because I just want more of this kind of stuff to read when I'm old and have lost all sense of my memory or anything like that. I can read my books with a fresh mind and I will enjoy them because I won't remember writing them in the first place. Next. Ooh, next is good. The next scene that we're going to be, uh, next recording, next uh, podcast that goes up is going to be Calliope having a little bit of alone time. She's going to be going through some of her old memories. We get to spend a lot more time with Calliope and Joshua back in not the bad old days, but the good old days. This was a tremendous amount of fun for me to, to write. I've never read it aloud, so I'm really looking forward to this stuff. But uh, yeah, this is fun. This is Calliope when she was. Well, it was Calliope when she was happier, and Joshua when she when they, when he was happier, when they were happier together. So it's good stuff. <laughs> 